0: Welcome to Journey Church on Demand. We pray that you are encouraged by this message. For more information, visit us online at JourneyChurchDFW.com. Amen. Amen. So, if you want to go with me to the book of Luke, chapter number 15, we're in week four of our series Reset, and the re re in Reset this year or this week is Restore. Restore. And, and again, I want to, welcome, I want to uh, wish you a happy Mother's Day. We started this series week one on Easter. And the part of, ref, of Reset was reflecting and talking about how we reflect on the things that God has done for us. And then week two, Pastor Sterling spoke about uh, reviving. And then last week I talked about renewing. And today it's Restore. So let's just go to the Lord in prayer. And let's just jump in. Father God, thank you so very much that you love us and you care for us. And I thank you, God, that you are with us now. I pray you'd speak to our hearts, speak to our lives. God, let us meet with you in a very real way. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen, amen. amen. I will tell you, I love Mother's Day. I do. I love Mother's Day and, and it's significant for me for a couple of reasons. I have a tremendous mother. Uh, God blessed Rachel and I with just an incredible mom who, who loves us. She's done some incredible things uh, in our lives. And I, I told her yesterday, because uh, my sister's not able to be here today because she's got a sick baby. So she's not able to do Mother's Day. So my mom texts she goes, we're going to have to reschedule Mother's Day. And I said, it's like a nationwide thing. I don't think we can reschedule the whole thing. But we're going to reschedule our celebration but mom's always been there, and I told her, I said, you know, here at Journey Church, you're kind of like Mother Superior, you know? I mean, just that's just kind of how she rolls, and she thinks that too, so I need you to help me keep her in check where she is. I'm the one with the mic. You'll have to trust me on that, won't you? But not only do I have a wonderful mother, I am married to a wonderful mother as well. Yeah, she is just an incredible lady. We have three beautiful kids. One of them's getting married this year. I don't know how, I'm not old enough to have one getting married, but it is what it is. But uh, I, I'm just so, I'm thankful for the two incredible women. My, my wife is my balance in so many areas. She is, she walks in a spiritual gift of wisdom. She really does. And just does some incredible things. So I'm very, very, very blessed uh, with both my mom and my wife. But I also realized that Mother's Day, and the video kind of hit, hit on it a little bit, is that Mother's Day can be a difficult day as well. Sometimes relationships can be severed. Sometimes relationships can be you know, estranged, difficult even. Uh, you know, just a lot of those things can be there. But I want to share a little bit of hope with you this morning. I want to share a little bit of hope, and I'm going to do it. Are you ready for this? I'm going to do this from a really scandalous passage in the Scripture. oh I got you now, don't I? You're like, ooh, what's scandalous? Well, this, this parable is known as the prodigal son. But it's actually been misquoted. Tim Keller, pastors up in the Northeast, he said if you really pay attention, there are two sons involved. It should be known as the prodigal sons, not the prodigal son. And the idea is it really is a scandalous passage. And I'm going to show you over the next few minutes why we would say that. Because of the two sons, every one of us in this room, every one of us on the stream, we fit into one of the two sons. We're one of the two. They identify with us. We can connect with that. And so With that in mind, it was the scandalous passage that Jesus taught on that changed everything. And you may say, what makes it scandalous? Well, I need you to understand, it was the statements in this passage and other ones like it, that's, that's what people wanted to kill Jesus for, okay? His teaching. They didn't want to kill him because he was doing miracles. Why would you kill a guy who's healing you? It was his teaching, it was his statements. It was the things that he was saying that was so out of their norm that it really it threw him off. He, Jesus had this amazing ability to deconstruct your world to then reconstruct it better. So let's look at this for a minute. Luke chapter 15 verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. I want to take just a minute. And I want to unpack this as we get into this, this, um, this parable. You hear a tax collector, and, and we start to think of things like, well, somebody who takes more money than they should. You know, and, but there's more to that. And, and I want to unpack that for, for just a minute. How many of you understand the Roman Empire was huge? Okay, it was huge. It went roughly from India to England. India to England. It was a huge area. And the fact is, you, you hear that, and in our minds, and in our lens, we, we wouldn't think that's a real hard area to control, and today it wouldn't be, right? Because here in the great state of Texas, we have a group of people who think that we should be our own nation, okay? I'm not, I'm not going either way on that. You do not see stupid on my forehead. I'm not going that route, all right? But... What will happen is this? some of these groups will say, you know what? We should be our own nation. Let's turn this thing over. We're going to start our own thing. Now, how many of you know that if one of these specific militant groups decided to do something like that and try and change some things over, how many of you know it would not take D.C. too terribly long to get somebody down here and deal with that? Right? I mean, if there was a true uprising, we would have soldiers... In a matter of hours, if not a day, they'd be down here and that would, that would be it, okay? In the Roman Empire, it wasn't the case. By the time it got to Rome that there was an uprising happening, and then they reply, responded, it could be over a year. Now, I realize there are other parts of government that function like that, but that's not what I'm talking about. What? Anyways. So with that being set up, there was no way to really truly govern a huge, huge area. So what they would do is they would, they would have to have a monstrous army to control all that. How do you pay for a big, big army like that? You have big, big taxes. Okay? Now, I want you to catch this for just a minute. The Roman people were brutal, brutal people. When the army would come in and they would take over an area, they would take many of the the leaders, men and and women and children with them, and they would crucify them on crosses on the roads leading into the town. So as you were coming in, you had no doubt in your mind who really had control, okay? Okay. So as you would come in, that's what you would see, and they they were a vicious group, just a vicious, vicious group. So what would happen to help pay for the armies, your neighbor would have the opportunity to buy the right to tax you on behalf of the Roman government, and then they could put their fees on top of it. So Jews were doing this, and because Jews were doing this, they were despised by the other Jews. That's where the tax collector thing comes in. Is that, everybody tracking with that? So they were not They were not uh, happy to see them. Now, as you keep going, in the first century, there were also people referred to as sinners that, well, yes, there was sin in their lives, but there was another group referred to as sinners that were people that were, they were deformed, they were diseased. Uh, maybe they had income from inappropriate ways, like prostitutes, okay? They would be lumped in as well. And here's why I need you to follow me on this, because they would be referred to as sinners as a group. If you go back and you read in the Gospels, The disciples would ask Jesus, who is it that sinned, his parents or him, to put them in that position? So a lot of times they would call them a sinner if they were just part of an outcast group, a disconnected group, a group that didn't have the value in their eyes. Okay, So you see that piece, it was a a very rough crowd. And so Jesus is talking to this rough crowd. But at the same time, at at that same area, they also had the Pharisees and the scribes. And let me just tell you real quick, they were better Christians than we are. They would tell you that. Here's what I mean by that. Are you ready for this? A lot of believers say, you know what? This year, reading through the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. No, no. But these guys... They memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They memorized it. On the surface level, they were better, they were better followers than us. You know, some of us were like, man, I got up three times this week at 6 a.m. for my devotions. They were super committed to the, to the Sabbath. They were super committed to the synagogue. There were all of those things that were there. They were like some of the best of the best. So this audience that Jesus is teaching, There's that combination of those that are culturally shunned, okay? And Jesus loved to go to those. The woman at the well, she was getting water at noon. You don't go at noon, it's a thousand degrees. But she did it because she didn't want to have anything to do with the rest of the culture, okay? Jesus went to those that were shunned. He went to those that were disconnected, the outcasts. But he also was real intentional to challenge those who had it all together. The Pharisees who were ceremonially clean. So Jesus' teaching to this these two groups was scandalous. And here's how we can say that. If you jump to verse 11, chapter 15. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property recklessly in reckless living, verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him out in the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Okay, so Jesus is to this point, and you know the outcasts, right? The, the ones that are disconnected, they're like, okay, I'm connecting to this. Yeah, I get this. I I can understand where you're going with this. And at the same time, the Pharisees are like, yeah, okay, let them have it. Here it comes. Boom. We're going to lower the boom. And I think one of the things that we can really pull from this, and I need you to follow me on this, is that God in his grace will let you exhaust yourself. When you're trying to do things on your own, God will in his grace let you exhaust yourself in that process. What do you mean by that? Well, okay, follow this. First of all, Paul tells us in Romans 1, he says that you're turning yourself or turning you over to yourself. In in this passage, the the father, the prodigal's father, he didn't have to say yes. He didn't have to say yes, you can have half the property. He didn't have to do that. He could have said, No. I'm still alive. You don't get it. Go to your room. Right? He could have done so many things like that, but he didn't do that. Instead, he says, okay. In his grace, he says, I'm going to let you have it here. And I really believe there are times when we don't go to God and we're trying to do it in and of ourselves, we're trying to do it in our own understanding and in our own power, that God gives us all the freedom to spin our wheels and exhaust ourselves. Happy Mother's Day. (laughs) But are you with me this morning? I want you to grab a hold of the See, Romans 8 tells us that if we're looking for fulfillment anywhere else, we won't find it. If you're spinning your wheels trying to find happiness in a relationship, you're not gonna find it. If you're spinning your wheels looking for happiness at the bottom of a bottle, you're not gonna find it. If you're spinning your wheels looking for happiness anywhere but in God, who he calls you to be and who he says you are, you will not find it. And some of you, you're looking for that in your job. You're looking for that in your bank account. You're looking for that in so many other areas. And in God's grace, he's just going to let you keep spinning your wheels. Do you say, oh, wait. It's time to come to my senses. It's time for me to realize what's really going on around me. Go on to verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Now, Can I be real for a minute? When I read those verses, here's what I think of. I think of my teenage kids. You know, they know, especially if they know they're going to be busted for something, they have already rehearsed the whole story. Right? They're coming in and they're like, listen, dad, I know I'm late. But there was this Amish wagon on 820, and it turned over. And so the other Amish had to come out, and they did a wagon raising, and it was crazy, man. There's all of this going on, right? I don't know if wagon raising is a real thing. It is in my head, right? But they come up with all of these reasons why. Well, you know, and they come out, and they're like planning for your potential response. That's what I see in my head. I see the prodigal son here saying, you know what? Dad, I've messed up. I have messed up. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I am just a big goof up. And how many of you know we do the same thing when we approach God? When we approach God, we do the same thing. And as the tax collectors and the sinners are listening to this story, at this point in time, they've got to be thinking, oh, boy, here it comes. What is my penance going to cost me? What is this going to cost me? This is going to hurt. This is going to be tough. You know, and at the same time, again, the Pharisees and the scribes are going, let them have it, Jesus. Lower the boom. Let it be big. Let it be intense. Take them out. Let's go big. They're excited for monster punishment. But here's where Jesus gets a scandal. because in verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The lost is found. Here's the scandalous part. Are you ready? This is the part that was kind of over the top. This was the idea of you've not had dinner yet, but you get your triple scoop Sunday. Are you ready? This is where it comes from. Jesus challenges them because the Father sees him coming. The Father sees him coming. Here's what I'm picturing in my head. I picture every morning the Father gets up and he stands out on the edge of the, the, the porch and he's looking for his boy. And I picture him working his way across the porch, scanning the horizon, looking for his son. He keeps looking, he keeps looking, all the way to the other edge, and he's looking. And you know, the servants are going to be like, he's never coming back. Let it go. How many people do we have in our lives when we're believing God for something, and we're looking for our kids to be saved, or we're looking and believing for those things, do we start to hear them get in our ear and say, it's never going to happen? But he's standing there, he's looking out, and he's watching every day and finally one day he looks up and he sees him and here it is are you ready scripture says he ran to him in that culture men didn't run in that culture boys ran men did not it wasn't dignified so when Jesus said he ran to him, it was totally going against the whole culture. Now follow me. Because he gets there and the son throws himself on him. He starts to give him his rehearsed speech, starts to lay all those things out. And the father interrupts it. His, the father interrupts the whole thing. And he looks at him and his servants and he goes, Bring him the best. His offense, I'm taking it on myself. His hurt, I'm going to carry. His, his bad choice, I'm going to pick up. And he looks at his servant and says, I want you right now, I want you to bring out my robe or my ring because that's symbolic of my authority. And then I want you to be real intentional because he's my son. And I want you to give him my robe because that's symbolic of my cleanliness and my identity. And I want you to know When we choose to walk away, when we distance ourselves from Christ, when our loved ones have distanced themselves from Christ, just like us, he's out there and he's waiting. And the moment we come, he places his authority and his righteousness. His authority is placed upon us. Our identity can shift when we give it all to him. Paul, Paul was a bad guy when he was Saul. He's headed out to take out believers, right? His whole goal was to wipe out the bride of Christ. The one who Jesus loved, right? And yet Jesus shows incredible grace right here in Galatians 1.15. Galatians 1.15 and 16. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. Paul had been a bad dude. And yet God still showed him his son. The father shows his incredible grace, grace that was not deserved. So go back to look for a minute. Now his older son, verse 25, was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked, what are these things? What do they mean? Here's what I picture. The other son's been out in the field working. He's coming back and he's, right? Boots and cats and boots and cats, right? And they're dancing and all of this. He's like, what is going on? Yeah. you guys are just getting a little glimpse of the things that go on in here, all right? There's a filter applied most of the, most of the time, all right? But they're here that, and he looks at one of the servants and goes, what? what's going on up here? And the servant looks at him and goes, oh, you don't understand. The the son that was dead is back. He's coming back. The father is celebrating restoration. He's celebrating the relationship is being restored. And hear me this morning. God specializes in restoration. God specializes in restoring. David, an adulterer and a murderer. He didn't just do one. He did both. He committed adultery. And then he takes the woman's husband, sends him out to be murdered. And yet... After a time of repentance, Psalm 51, what does the scripture tell us? That David was a man after God's own heart. God was all about restoration. I heard a story last night about a lady in our church who uh, had been praying for grandkids. I believe I'm getting that piece right in my head. Who had raised in church, they grew up in church, but they kind of walked away. They had walked away from their faith. And the granddaughter they have been praying for, she ended up getting sick. Long, it's a long story how she got there. But she got sick, and so she was in a hospital uh, out on the East Coast. And Grandma had been praying for years for these kids to come back to Christ. Praying, praying, and praying, and praying. And about uh, just a few weeks ago, a month ago maybe, uh, and I'm butchering the timeline, and I apologize. They, they went, and, and she said, I'm not going to be praying for her salvation anymore. I'm going to start praising God for her salvation. Okay? started praising God for her salvation. And I love this. Because at 4 a.m., how many of you know your phone rings at 4 a.m.? It's never a good thing. Right? Her phone rings at 4 a.m. She answers the phone. And she's wide awake. And I need you to hear me on that. She's wide awake. It's not a dream. She's wide awake. And she hears muffled talking. On the other end. And all of a sudden it starts to clear up. And here is this granddaughter. Talking to the doctor at 4 a.m. And she's, and she's talking to it. And the doctor asks her. Do you, know, or do you have a relationship with God? And she said I do. My family doesn't think I do. But I'm in a relationship. I am in a relationship with God at 4 a.m. How many of you know doctors outside of an emergency? They don't make visits at 4 a.m. Okay. So grandma gets up goes in to where grandpa was because he was awake and he was working. He was wide awake. And And he started listening and that whole thing repeated one more time to where grandpa got to hear it too. And the thing is, both of them hearing it, it validated the fact that they did hear what they heard. And hear me when I say this, it was not a dream. It was the Lord allowing them to hear something they had been asking about and praying for for years and years and years to come. Why? Because God's a God of restoration. Are you tracking with me? It's such a cool story. When they called me last night, and they were like, hey, we got to tell you this story. And I just feel like I'm supposed to call you. And I'm like, this fits perfectly with what I'm preaching. So I'm trying to give you the Reader's Digest version. But it's a powerful, powerful story. Because God is all about restoration. That's what he does. See, Paul tells us in Romans 5, he says that the cross of Jesus was the propitiation of our sins. In other words, Jesus on the cross... Took care of everything. He paid that price. And the beauty is, not only did He pay the price for reconciliation and restoration between us and Him, He also brings about restoration in our relationships. All right. I don't know if you're, you're tracking with me yet, but God's all about that. Now, with that in mind, go to verse 27. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he was received back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in, and his father came out, and he treated him. He, again, in my in my sanctified imagination, I picture the brother being like, fine. I ain't going in there. He was gone, and look what he got. I'm just going to sit right out here, and I'm going to pout, and I'm going to be all about me. And it's just me. <laughs> right? Right? He's sitting over here, and I love this because what happens to the father? The father comes out. He's like, dude, what's going on? The father comes out to him. He connects to him as well. Can I just challenge you this morning? We find it so much easier to give grace and mercy to the son that went away. We don't always give grace and mercy to the son who was overly spiritual and self-righteous. We're quick to give mercy here and we come down on this side. And I need you to hear me this morning because the older brother received it as well. The younger brother, he's the misfits, right? He's the tax collectors and the sinners. The older brother, please know I love you. The older brother is a self-righteous Christian. If we as believers, and please hear me, if we as believers are not careful, our attitude towards non-believers becomes self-righteous and condescending. I can't tell you. I'm just going to be honest. How many of you remember? I don't even know how long ago when Charles Manson died. Charles Manson, Helter Skelter, Swastika, mass murderer. Okay, I can't help you much more than that. <laughs> Google it later. Later. Okay. When when Charles Manson died, I can't I can't tell you how many Christians I saw post things like, well. He got his just rewards, didn't he? He's burning in hell now. And they almost seemed to be satisfied and excited about that. And I thought, you know what? Was he a bad guy? Yeah. But was he a soul? Absolutely. And chances are real good he busted hell wide open. And there are a lot of believers. If we're not careful, we treat non-believers almost with contempt. And so we are that older brother sometimes. We myself included, can fall into that category. we got to be very, very careful because God is still faithful and merciful both to the, to the outcast and the one that always stayed. Go to verse 29. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who, who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fat and calf for him, and he said to him, "Son, you always uh, are with me, and all that is mine is yours." It was fitting to celebrate and be glad that your brother was dead and is alive; he was lost and is now found. I think it's so interesting that the younger bro- or the older brother he says, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! My brother got a calf, and he got a ring, and he got shoes. You didn't even give me a goat." Read it. I'm not making this stuff up. You can't make this stuff up. But can I tell you, when we try and do things in and of our own timing, when we try and do things in our own strength, like I told you, God gives you the grace to let you spin your wheels for a little while, we end up getting a goat when God intended for us to have a calf all along. We, get, we fall short. We fall short because we're trying to do it in and of our own abilities. God has so much more for you. So my challenge to you this morning is whether you're a tax collector or or you're a Pharisee, grace and restoration is there for every one of us. All we have to do is receive it. Thank you for listening to Journey Church On Demand. We would love for you to visit us in person for one of our Sunday morning worship services. If you have questions, need prayer, or would like to connect with us, feel free to visit us at journeychurchdfw.com